Coming up on a Friday edition of OGP, we break down some takeaways from the OTAs. Andy dials up a two-minute drill as we ask the questions, how much do we want to read into the success of Daniel Bellinger, the shortcomings of Darius Slayton, and other position battles that could be indicative of the starters come week one? We break it down right after the theme music. Oh, yes, it is OGP, the one giant podcast where you know the deal. We are your host over here, Adam Armbrecht, breaking down the Brooklyn Nets on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy Doug Norrie. And over there, it is the healthy, wealthy, and wise season generational ticket holder for the New York football giants, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. Hey, did we have a wardrobe meeting before the show started? I was I was going to say, did you dial in the, the orange? I, I don't know if most OGP listeners know. I am a proud Syracuse graduate. I'm glad that you're wearing orange uh, for the same cause, Adam. It's it's fantastic to see today. I'm a big fan of pumpkins. That was my thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, for the YouTube uh, watchers as opposed to podcast listeners, my orange. I mean, this is there's an intensity here. This thing is this thing is blind you in the middle of the night. This is safety while running in the dark. Orange that I am sporting today, but uh, unplanned. Yet a happy little accident, as we like to say on the podcast. We talk about today, as we said at the top, OTAs. We're moving into what will be the last session coming up next week. few more opportunities to get some glimpses here. But it seems like now we're getting, at least from a media perspective, a few more insights. They're willing to be a little more critical as we work our way through. So we're going to dive right in on it. And essentially, we are going to call this the two-minute drill coming out of the OTAs, Andy. And we start with first two minutes we're going to dial in on are the injuries because as we talk about obviously working through your OTAs there's some guys that we knew were walking in the door with injury concerns and then other ones that could loom a little bit a little bit larger excuse me when I say we've got of course Thibodeau, Tony, Shepard, Hurt, Thomas, Martinez, Johnson, Jaquette, and Radarius Williams, all wearing red jerseys in some form or fashion, removed from the action. Obviously, Nick Gates also recovering from, as it's reported, anytime they talk about it, gruesome leg injury. Um, is is Thibodeau the only, I'm, I'm saying concerning in air quotes, the Dable said, you're not worried about it. He won't, he will be wearing a red jersey today, right? We don't know what it'll look like. No indications what it is, but everybody else in some form or fashion came into camp with injuries or things that they were going to be working through. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned, um, you mentioned Nick Gates, right. And, and I think literally on the injury injury designation, does it say the word gruesome? Because I haven't heard anyone just say that he has a leg injury. It's like, no, no, no. Nick Gates out with a gruesome leg injury. Like it is, it is interesting how they, how they write that. Um, you know, some, some of these players, as you mentioned, came in with injuries. You had Andrew Thomas getting some cleanup stuff. You had, uh, uh, Kadarius Tony had a little bit of work where Darius Williams coming off an injury, Matt Perk coming off an injury. Some of those are expected. The Kayvon pieces is the more interesting one. Obviously, uh, Dayball was a little bit coy about him wearing a red jersey. Said he got rolled up on a little bit early. Wasn't committing to Kayvon even being out there for training camp, which I thought was fascinating. Um, but but this is the dog days of summer where you kind of use more caution and abundance of caution is a good thing. So hopefully, Kayvon, if it's just a knock, he gets healthy, he's ready to go. Let's focus on him getting reps in the preseason and being ready for week one. 
Yeah, that's it, man. I'm a little, you, you can't read into something you don't have any information about. And we've gotten a really nice sample size seeing how athletic and quick and twitchy and, and dominant and strong and all that other good stuff. So we'll wait to hear more from him, though. Two-minute drill next up, then, would be Saquon Barkley. Um, it was reported that he has been seeing significant, essentially, when we talk about how he's being utilized um, out of the backfield, frequently lined up as a receiver. And, and this actually gives a little bit of insight into the offensive game plan overall, where he was lined up out wide with Wondell Robinson on the inside of him. There were sets where even Darius Slayton was in the backfield. We'll get to him a little bit later on, lined up as a running back. Uh, the versatility of this offense is certainly starting to be on display here in OTAs. And from a Barkley standpoint, Go back a couple of weeks. We said, what were expectations? I was pretty bullish, and I'm not saying that this one OTA session or anything we're going to see in training camp is going to be indicative of it, but that I anticipate out of his rookie year that the pass catching becomes you know, a big component of how they want to utilize Saquon Barkley. Get him out in space, mitigate some of the hits that he takes in and around the line of scrimmage, and let him use his athleticism, his quickness, right? All that little close quarter work that he can do. Get him out on the outside there and let him go to work on arguably maybe what the third or fourth cornerback on a depth chart. Yeah, you're absolutely right about Saquon Barkley. It's it's interesting because when we talk about Saquon, you ask, but I mean, I ask you the question of how can Saquon get a second contract from the Giants? You sure. seem to think that there's no world that that he ends up getting one from the Giants, but I think him being able to catch balls out in space also allows him to stay healthy for mm -hmm. as long as possible because he's not just running into the offensive line and getting fallen upon by 400-pound linemen. So, you know, the, the other piece of it that I think is interesting is the offense and the defense, even though they're two completely different sides of the ball, they, they want to do accomplish the same thing, which is get the other, other team or other side confused with different looks. Oh, sure. And, and you look at Wink Martindale, his scheme is to is to – have a bunch of different people blitzing and confuse people. Getting people like Wondell Robinson, Kadarius Tony, Saquon Barkley out in space and moving them in motion is something that's going to cause defenses trouble. And if Saquon really can be that electric guy with the ball in his hands, catching passes out of the backfield, I think it may be a better way to utilize Saquon Barkley overall, as opposed to thinking he's a guy that's going to like run into the line and get you three and a half yards every single time for 25 rushes a game. Sure, you have to use use the best part of the skill set, right? I think that's what you want to accomplish. There is a world where Saquon can get another contract. I think it just it's it's the best version of what could possibly happen for the New York Football Giants in the upcoming season. We'll save that for another day. Two minute drill. Daniel Jones. We mentioned now they're they're developing the play scheme. They're making it more dynamic. They're turning over how they want to approach using all these different weapons. And RPOs is going to be a big component of it. He put one. Another player we'll get to here as well. In Adoree Jackson, put one right into his chest on an outside route, jumped that one, and could have taken it for a pick six. And then, you know, one of the other things they, they talked about a little bit was uh, on with Saquon Barkley coming out of the backfield, opportunity, try to get that ball to him on a swing pass, give him a, a chance to get, have some, op, uh, sorry, run after catch ability, short hops it. Um, what One of the things that I am worried about or that I'm curious about to watch over the course of this offseason is Daniel Jones on the move, right? Like if you've been on social media as a lot, I'm sure a lot of fans have been, and they show that play, the net drill, where Daniel Jones rolls out and throws one into the net. That thing's about as wobbly as you could be for a sub 15 yard pass play. And I'm not going to read everything into it, but I'm also going to make the note. That's an area of his game that he struggled in, whether it was under pressure or not. When he rolls out of the pocket and has to throw on the run, 
things start to break down. You talk about the deep ball opportunities. He's not a guy, from what we've seen so far, that has the flick of the wrist throw, right? He doesn't have that Aaron Rodgers flick where I'm on the run, I kind of do that little, you know, little pot of array with my feet, and I throw this thing 45, 50, 60 yards downfield. He needs to set his feet. Is, is that something that you're looking for? I'm not going to say, is it a problem? Is it a concern? But do you want to watch for that over the course of this offseason to say, Daniel Jones, you have to show me that on the run with mobility, you can make the plays, even the short, quick passes, et cetera. The, the interesting thing is I've seen multiple reporters in OTAs come out and say, if you love a guy that throws a beautiful deep ball, look no further than Tyrod Taylor. He, hearing that is not a good thing when you're talking about our backup quarterback is the one that you're looking at throwing a beautiful deep ball. Yeah. You're like, you're like, how about we focus on our, our potential franchise quarterback, Daniel Jones. Now, look, you know, everyone's seen that clip that you mentioned. He did have fast footwork. He was super accurate in, in, in that video that you're showing. Those are all positives. But again, the, the, the issue with Daniel Jones is turnovers and inconsistency. You feel like you see him make amazing plays. And then you also see him and, you, and it's like head scratching things. You're like, how is this happening? consistency is going to be king. You have to, if he's going to throw a little bit of a wobbly ball or he's not going to be able to be that accurate on the run, just be consistent with the looks that you're making and know what your limitations are because that's going to lead to less turnovers at, you know, in the end. So interesting. One of the things that we talk about, we're going to get into our next player here, someone that could be, could be, could be catching passes from Daniel Jones, um, is that for Daniel Jones in this offensive system, we always talk about like staying ahead of schedule, right? Picking up the four or five or six yards on first down. So you have a second and short second and reasonable. I think this offensive system is going to have more boom or bust plays as well. So you can always make up for it. And also, when you have it, you want to take it. And that's what I think Daniel Jones probably needs to start with first is get the things that are supposed to be guarantees and then worry about the explosive plays later. Darius Slayton up next on this one. You mentioned that Tyrod Taylor thrown a beautiful deep ball and he was looking for Darius Slayton who beat the deep coverage and unfortunately dropped it. He dropped another one in practice as well. Um, Brian Dable has spoken highly of how Darius Slayton has looked over the course of camp. When we talked about the injuries, I'm not, I'm, I'm throwing in Colin Johnson as a, for instance, him being hurt, right? When you, when you have someone ahead of you on the depth chart and he's dropping balls, this is when one of these other wide receivers can have some success. We've heard a little bit about Davis Webb and some of the other backups, but, um, Dable has spoken highly about him and he's dropped some balls. Do, do you? Do you think that Darius Slayton can play himself out of a role by not catching OTA passes? So uh, what I find interesting is Art Stapleton, who is a, you know uh, a well-known beat writer for, for the Giants for NJ.com. Um, he came out yesterday and said, if the Giants wide receivers are healthy and leave Sterling Shepard in a different category for now, mm -hmm. I could see Galladay and Tony on the outside with Robinson working inside. Obviously, Tony will move around elsewhere, but likely more on the perimeter than last year. And so when he said that, the, my initial reaction was like, where's Darius Slayton? Like, he didn't mention Darius. He's like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with Sterling Shepard later. But uh, assuming everyone's healthy, it's Galladay, Tony, Wandale Robinson. He didn't mention Slayton. And to me, that's pretty interesting. You know, Slayton needs to be showing up and showing out in camp because there is so much talk about him having, you know, trade interest from different teams like the Baltimore Ravens. There is the cap savings that the Giants could get. There is a plethora of wide receivers that are here in camp. I, I'm concerned just even hearing beat writers say, imagine a world with these wide receivers. And, and Darius Slayton is like fifth or sixth on the list at this point. 
Well, yeah, I know, but you just listed the players. He's fourth. He's not fifth or sixth. He's fourth. He's behind Kadarius Tony, Wandell Robinson, and Kenny Galladay, right? And 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 to your point, now listen. Again, this is what I think about when we, you know, the health of Kadarius Tony. We said going back to last year, this is a kid that's capable of lining up on the outside. We don't necessarily look at the same way for Wandell Robinson, at least with consistency. But if that's going to be the front combined with another player, we'll touch on later in Daniel Bellinger combined with Saquon Barkley that we've already spoken about catching passes, right? You have Matt Breida, like. I think maybe that's kind of the point here is that if to I will leave it at this for now on Slayton, if he can show that he can take the top off of coverage, that's what his role needs to be, right? And you are being looked at as a guy in the group of receivers, maybe you're at the top of those other receivers, but you're a guy in that group. If you have the speed and you can get downfield, then anyone else that's in that group, whether it's going to be a CJ board, whether it's going to be a foster, right? Whether it's going to be a Richie James, whether Colin, any of these guys, if, Whoever shows they can catch the ball when they get the opportunity, that's the guy that gets the next rep, right? And then the next rep after that. So I think Darius Slayton is not on thin ice from that standpoint, but I think he's probably closer to being one of the, quote, others as opposed to one of the starting group of players. And when you're a fifth round wide receiver, it's worth reminding, came out of Auburn, his total over his three-year career there, I mean, it went to Auburn, didn't do anything in his, in his rookie season, um, 79 catches for 1600 yards, right? 11 touchdowns. The five and five in, in the last two years is what you liked 29 catches and 35 catches. He's a big play boomer bust receiver. And I think maybe from his rookie season success, we started to elevate expectations on him. Maybe we need to bring it back down to this idea of, Hey, bring him in for a play, grip it and rip it, right? Let him run a burner route. Come down with that ball. You've got value. Miss those catches. You're probably on the outside looking in. Yeah, I, I was just going to say the one last thing I'll wrap up on, yeah. on Darius Slayton. I think you're right. I think his his rookie year, he showed flashes and we're like, can Darius Slayton be uh, number two? Or or like what, what type of wide right. receiver right. is his ceiling? And we kind of elevated him to a 1A or a 2 when, in fact, if he's a complimentary three or a fourth wide receiver that can take the top off of a defense, maybe that's the role that he's best suited in. Yep, and so we'll certainly keep an eye on him as we work our way through camp. Two-minute drill over on Adoree Jackson mentioned. Daniel Jones throws the ball on the outside. Jackson jumps the route, hits him in the chest. Can't make that catch. Uh, this is where a training camp reporting takes a little bit of a more aggressive turn, as we've been saying, because it wasn't just that like he didn't make the, make the interception. They went on to say uh, Adoree Jackson dropped what should have been an easy pick six off of Daniel Jones, stepped in front of the receiver on the sideline throw and dropped the ball that hit him right in the chest. Jackson has only three interceptions in his five-year career and often struggles to catch the ball. Like, I, I was like, dude, we just elevated this guy to the number one cornerback after moving off of James Bradbury. Like, he's the future of the position. And OTAs was nothing about glowing reviews. It wasn't. It did everything right, has to be able to complete complete the end of the play for a pick six. It was like, well, I don't know. This guy doesn't catch a lot of interceptions, does he? Um, do you what are the expectations for him? We can get off of this individual play, but what are your expectations for him over the course of this offseason? Because he is the number one cornerback now. He does need to be the he's the veteran leader of that unit, you know, in a lot of ways. What can he show over the course of training camp? Is it sticking with some of the speedier guys, right? Showing if, if Tony's up on the outside, hey, I can still hang with quick twitchy guys, whether they're running deep routes or trying to work themselves over the middle. Look, Adoree Jackson signed a three-year, $39 million deal with the Giants. Aye, that's like, money. It, that's that's big-time money. I, I don't want any excuses from, from Adoree Jackson dropping passes. So, like, when I hear that, that concerns me. The, the one nice thing is when James Bradbury was really uh, released by the Giants, Adore Jackson sent a text out to all the other cornerbacks and was like, 
This is the business side of things. But what this does is it presents an opportunity for one of us to show up and show out and, and earn that number two cornerback position. We have to stick together. So he earn started that number two cornerback position behind me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. clearly I'm the number yeah. one guy, but, but what he's saying is it's our opportunity to shine. Let's go together. And he started showing those, those leadership qualities off the field that you really are hoping that he can, he can have considering the salary that he makes. So you have the off the field piece, the on the field piece is look, He's a cornerback for a reason. If he could catch the ball, jokingly, he would be a wide receiver. That's the whole point. It's like maybe Darius Slayton should be a cornerback, right, if he's going to continue to drop balls. But Adoree Jackson needs to show, to your point, that man-to-man coverage in press coverage, he can still guard at an elite level. If he can cover man-to-man at an elite level in press coverage, I have no qualms with him dropping passes. His whole goal is to be able to make sure that he gives up the big plays and allow guys like Thibodeau, and Ojolari to get to the quarterback while not allowing one of the one or one a wide receivers to get open. If he does that, I don't care about the drop balls play really good press coverage. That's all I'm asking from you. Adori. Yep. I love it. Force the offense to look somewhere else. That's your, that's your goal as the number one cornerback. Look, have the quarterback drop back, look over to your side of the field and say, ah, it's not there. I may come back to it, but it's not there initially, right? Try to hold up in coverage and let someone else like Xavier McKinney, like maybe Aaron Robinson on the other side, right? Like another safety we're going to get to here in a second, make a big play in the secondary for us. Last kind of quick two-minute drill here is going to be on Shane Lemieux. He continues to be getting the first uh, starter reps there at left guard. We'll throw in the little note here. As we said, Thomas still in the red shirt. Zudu still filling in on the first team, getting reps at the left tackle position. I just think it's good for the rookie to be getting reps and on the line. Um, we said this, I feel like we'll be quick on it, that, Somehow it, it, it comes across as though we don't like Shane Lemieux and we don't think he could be a starter and we think that he's a garbage player. It's more just that we want we want him to prove it. Uh, you know, the 17 reps at the beginning of last season before getting hurt wasn't enough for us. There's a good sample size. His rookie year needs to build on it. He continues to get nothing but praise from Bobby Johnson, from the coaching staff. He's, it, it looks like right now if we're going to take something away from these OTAs is that he may be entrenching himself there at the left guard position, understanding at least at this moment, Zudu isn't there to try to push him because he's filling in alongside of him instead of from behind. Well, you mentioned the, the, the big piece of this. So Shane Lemieux getting his flowers during OTAs is great. We want him to succeed. If he ends up being the, the guard of the future and everyone's like, he's come into his own, that's what we want. We want like it doesn't matter who it is, it just matters that we have a really good guard alongside Andrew Thomas. And when speaking about Andrew Thomas, I am the one thing that I'm looking out for, whether it's going to be uh, mandatory mini camp or during you know the full training camp or the preseason, is when Andrew Thomas is healthy and playing, is Joshua Azudu pushing Shane Lemieux for the guard role? Because right now it's a big question mark. Azudu has to fill in. For Andrew Thomas, because Andrew Thomas has the red jersey on. When Andrew Thomas is back, how are the reps being split? And if you don't be surprised at that moment, if all of a sudden they're like, oh, Azudu is now splitting first team reps with Shane Lemieux. Like, I, I don't think this question is going to be answered until we start getting a fully healthy line. And it starts with Andrew Thomas at the left tackle position. I like it. I love it. I want more of it. We'll see how that plays out over the course of training camp. And obviously we want Andrew Thomas to get fully healthy too, right? I mean, that's a part of it now. Injuries yep. are a concern, a little bit of a concern with him. And I don't want to pull back the curtain too far here, but again, everything is always big picture. This regime brought in Evan Neal, right? We think we love Andrew Thomas, but they are also preparing for any eventuality over the next couple of seasons as well, whether it's production, which we don't think will be the issue or health, which could be the issue. 
Let's uh, I said I said that was the last kind of major one. These may extend a little bit, but two minute drill. Uh, Dane Belton, where was he, Andrew Makowitz, when he, when he showed up there at OTAs? Oh, so interestingly, yesterday he was getting first team reps at the safety position. And the reason why this is interesting is because while everyone, the same way Shane Lemieux, everyone thinks that we're an anti-Shane Lemieux and anti-Julian Love podcast. That is not where we're at. We just want the best players to be on the field and, and you know, suited in the best situation. I am excited to see Dane Belden being able to get a little bit of first team reps, get some of this experience, you know, underneath. Don't be surprised if he's pushing Julian Love for a starting role yeah. as we get into mandatory minicamp, we get into some of the preseason games. This is just the start of getting him some of these really important reps. They're clearly important for Belton, and I'm excited to see him start dipping his toe a little bit into what we think could be him starting at some point this year. And I, and I think that that's really what you have to take away from this because it wouldn't be anything negative if any of these rookie players. So if Dane Belton wasn't getting first team reps, wouldn't think anything of it. Young player coming along, learning the system, right? Especially in OTAs. The fact that he's getting some first team reps tells you that he's already coming around that curve, right? He's shown that he has an understanding and they want to get a look at what he could be amongst the other starters. Because a big factor here is, um, as you say, want the best players to be out there. This is a guy that won, just like we talked about Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he fits the mold of Wink Martindale's system. He has the skill set that Wink Martindale wants out of the safety position. The other big piece is, you want him playing alongside Xavier McKinney. You want him playing behind a Dory Jackson, behind Robinson, behind Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, right? Like you want to see how he functions amongst the best talent on the roster too. Because if you see a guy getting reps with the second team, well, he could look impressive by comparison to some of the lesser talent. And then that could be a little bit of a mixed bag. Or he can maybe look like, hey, it looks like he's doing okay. But where's the reliability and consistency of the players around him, right? Now you, you put him into a situation where he has all of the best players with him. If he continues to look good, that's where I think you can continue to push. And ultimately, I think playmaking is going to be a big factor here. And that's where the difference, as you said, not that I don't like Julian Love. I just think that Dane Belton is going to be a more dynamic playmaker in this defense. And that's what Wink wants. Yep, exactly. You're 100% right. Playmakers on defense because we want to dictate what is happening. We, we talked about James Bradbury, Logan Ryan from the previous regime. They they had a different skill set that was maybe a bettering in zone coverage, cover two, just do your job in this spot. Now Wink Martindale is saying, I want to create as much havoc as possible. Who are the wreckers on this side of the ball? And you talk about Aziz Ojolari, you talk about Kayvon Thibodeau. Dane Belton feels like that kind of guy from the safety position that can get after the quarterback and get after him quickly. All right, now we get into an interesting spot. The last two names on our list would be a bit of a contrast here for Andrew Makowitz. First up, Daniel Bellinger. He continues to do only what he's supposed to do, only impressing coaches, only impressing media members. Uh, he's catching everything thrown his way. Again, we don't overreact on the negative side if it's a player that we're, we think can do well. We're not going to overreact on the fact that he only seems to be getting glowing reviews out of camp. However... Also, someone who's getting some first-team reps mixed in there. And now, I would say, while it's not a lock, if OTAs told us anything about him, it's going to be that there's a really good chance that he could actually be the outright starter week one. Yeah, I mean, with Daniel Bellinger, he literally is forcing his way 
to be the starter week one. There's no, there's no he shoved, he shoved Seals Jones out he, of the uh, way. It was very upsetting. You're almost you're borderlining saying it was assault. That's yes. what you're that's what you're saying in terms assault. of Jordan Akins and, and Ricky Seals Jones. But but in all seriousness, this could be of this could be the feather in the cat for Joe Shane and Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka. If they had a day two pick in Daniel Bellinger that ends up immediately turning heads and being like, that's the guy. And he's starting week one. And he's basically taken the starting tight end position by storm in OTAs and is not relinquishing it. This could be the feather in Joe Shane's cap where he's like, we identified a diamond in the rough, a guy that only caught 35, 40 passes in college was underutilized. We think his athleticism would be perfect for the scheme. I am excited about Daniel Bellinger. I had other tight ends ahead of him in, in my in my projections and, and you know draft analysis that mm-hmm. I did, but I am pleasantly surprised that Daniel Bellinger has proven me wrong in terms of who I wanted, and now I am all chips in, in the table on Daniel Bellinger. Uh, and, and again, you're not putting big roadblocks in uh, Seals Jones necessarily, right? You kind of right. get up for success as you should. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, now you're willing to go all in on him. Feather in the cap was the words that you just used here for a later round pick tight end that could work out for the Giants and be a starter. Feather in the cap. But for some reason, you have an issue with Wandell Robinson receiving elite level hype over OTAs with everyone saying, hey, the kid that was taken 43rd in the draft that a little bit of question around him. Was he worth it, et cetera? Looks like he's proving everyone in the Giants organization right and anyone who doubted him on the outside wrong yet you don't want to buy in. Look, I'm a hypocrite. What do you want from me? What do you want from me, Adam? I, I am a hypocrite. Do as I say, not as I do, is one of the, the great old adages that I live by. I am loving the Daniel Bellinger hype. I am I am trying to temper expectations on the Wandell Robinson talk. And you well, may wait, say, well, why, why are you, why do you want to do that on Robinson? Like, so what if Bellinger comes out, he gets this, he gets a starting job and week one, all he does is drop every ball that's thrown to him and whiffs on all the blocking. Like, why are you okay hyping him up and setting him for potential failure? But Wandell Robinson, like, I, I, I know what it is too. You're a taller guy. I'm on the shorter side. You just have a problem. You thought it's a hype. You judgmental, tall bastard. Wow. The bias that I have against tall people. Yes, that could be it, Adam. I, I am, you know, almost six, three. So I, I do have an affinity for the larger wide receivers and tight ends. Huh? Maybe the diminutive size of Wondell Robinson at five, seven huh? could play into it. The, the real thing that I think separates my thought process on Bellinger versus Wondell Robinson is the competition at each of the positions is really what's, what's where, where I, it sticks out in my mind. I look at Daniel Bellinger and I look at the tight end room and I see what he's doing. And I'm like, (laughs) he deserves to start. Like he is showing it out. If he continues to do this, he deserves to start. Wandell Robinson. I I feel like with Kadarius Tony in the room with Kenny Galladay, making big money in the room with Darius Slayton, still, still being here. You talk about Saquon Barkley, catching more passes with Sterling Shepard, potentially getting healthy. I think there's enough wide receivers there where I don't think week one, you have to say, we need a, a significant contribution for Wandale Robinson. And I think that's the reason more, more than anything else. And I'm saying let's temper expectations a little bit on Wandale Robinson and don't get so upset if he only catches one or two passes in, in, in week one, because they're, they have to figure out exactly how his complement is in the wide receiver room. 
that part of that part of I understand. I, I do get what you mean from that standpoint. However, we can't talk about Darius Slayton the way we just did and say that he's a part of the other group, not a part of the starting group, and then say he's one of the guys that's in the room could be ahead of Robinson here. Likewise, the thing that I'll go back to is the way that Brian Dable uh, spoke at his introductory press conference and what he's echoed all off season long to this point: guys who show up who understand it in the film room, who execute it on the practice field, are going to get the reps on game day. So if Robinson is showing it and showing that he knows how to do it, that means that they are going to find a way to get him opportunities. And I'll say, again, this is the guy that I'm bullish on inside that wide receiver room. Do I think that Kenny Galladay can end up being productive this season for the Giants? Yes, I do. Do I think his price tag matters at all to how they're going to utilize him? No. And I think that he's going to benefit off of what Kadarius Toney is doing and what Wandell Robinson is doing for them. And you can put Bellinger in that mix. You can put the pass catching backs into the mix as well. But uh, the most dynamic version of this team week one is Wandell Robinson being involved. And, and again, it's only bullied by the fact that you're seeing him be productive on the field in OTAs. We know as we get ourselves out the door here, we'll keep an eye on this stuff. He has to continue to prove it as we work our way through. Daniel Jones has to continue to get in the ball. Uh, mandatory minicamp will be coming up June 7th to the 9th. So we'll get one last look with everybody there. And maybe we'll see some nice first team reps, see who comes back out of those red shirts as well. Before we do, though, as we like to say, Andy, at the end of the day, uh, closing thoughts, you can add one more tidbit on Robinson if you want. I think you're just scared. You're scared to love again. I know who it is. It was Sonoris Moss. That's what did it to you. Sonoris no. Moss is the one that did it to you. It, it's still in the back of my mind. I know I said I wouldn't mention the name, but Sky Moore was a guy that I was really excited about. Jesus, he, with Sky Moore. I, I mean, he's had a hamstring injury in OTA, so you haven't heard much oh, of his name. Well, so, well, well. So you Look, haven't heard much of his name. I'm in prepared to have success. But, but listen, at the end of the day, my one thought in all of this is – under Brian Dayball, Josh Allen threw the ball 646 times last year. Pressure's you talk you talk about Wandell Robinson being electric. We already know what Kadarius Tony can do. They talk about Saquon Barkley being able to catch passes out of the backfield. Again, this all relates to Daniel Jones. I could see Daniel Jones throwing 600-something passes this year because of all the weapons at his disposal and them figuring out how to manipulate yards out of the passing game. It just gets me excited about all these different weapons and the creativity that Dayball has shown previously in Buffalo. Maybe that translates over to Daniel Jones and all these weapons we mentioned. Oh, of course. So much of this is going to be predicated on how Daniel Jones plays. And this is about, we always say, the extended running game is what short passes and passes behind the line of scrimmage are. So that's how you manufacture success in today's NFL. It looks like the Giants are moving in that direction. Mandatory minicamp. We'll break that all down. You get us over on YouTube. You like, subscribe, get into the comments. Let's chop it up over there. Get the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. We appreciate the support. We love the conversation. And until next time, friends, enjoy the weekend first and foremost. Yes, and as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand that people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.